Yeah, well, can anything else get more fucked up than it is already? Robo Terry's probably loyal. I think Robo Robo Terry's very. Robo Terry can get hella fucked up. <laughs> I have I tried to get hella fucked up. I'm going to wait for the Reagan beer segment to talk about that, but I've tried. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, we have real, real challenge on our hands here. I think this is going to be the most difficult episode in belligerent beef's history to do. We didn't put much of an outline together for this. If you are joining us now, welcome to the 118th episode of the Belligerent Thieves podcast. We, are, we aren't glad about many things right now, but we are glad you're here. And we're glad to be sharing this space with you. My name is Terry Horseman. I am joined, as I always am, by my beloved co-hosts on the show, J.P. Bertram and Benny Weehage. We normally record this show on Sundays, and here we are on Saturday, November 25th, 2023. Last night, your beloved Oregon State Beavers fell to eight and four on the season by way of a painful and frustrating thirty-one to seven loss at Autzen Stadium to the Oregon Ducks. And today, many of the rumors that we had heard about had been swirling that we had feared turned out to be true. Jonathan Smith the quarterback of the 2000 Fiesta Bowl champion, Oregon State Beavers, the head coach of the Oregon State Beavers for the last six years, he who replaced, he who must not be named after one of the worst seasons in, worst few seasons in Oregon State history, for being real, who brought us out of the cellar, brought us to where we are now, but is with us no more. Jonathan Smith, to the Michigan State Spartans is confirmed. And I kind of at a loss for words. I know (laughs) the three of us collectively aren't, and we'll get into this, but I really thought that when these rumors came out that this was leverage for Smith at most. I've been a little, I've been vocal within the three of us. I've been vocal online a little bit, but just I don't, I don't think the Michigan State job is a good job, and we'll get into that more and more. But it's been a tough—it's been a tough twelve hours or so, tough thirty-six hours probably, which sucks because this season, before even a game was played, was tough for us because realignment really fucked our team and fucked our school and fucked the people we care a whole hell of a lot about. So this season kind of felt like a season of getting to have a really cool, fun football team with all these amazing young student athletes playing on the field, bookended with two of the worst pieces of news in Oregon State history. So we're going to talk about all of those things, all of the joy, yay. But it's been it's been a long day, so why don't we just get right into it? JP, tell me how you're, you're feeling and what have... <laughs> It's basically, it's it's been since like noon central time that we've known for sure. 10 a.m. Pacific time. So it's been like 10 hours. Just what have the last 10 hours been like for you, my dude? 
surreal, I guess is the way to put it. There felt like no other person that could lead this program could bring it back to prominence where it had shortly lived 20 plus years ago and no one else suited to do that task for that person to essentially proclaim it's not possible i'm out doesn't feel real i mean it's maybe naive to have overlooked all of the activity with realignment and the lack of certainty around our schedule next year and the conference that we will end up in uh, and the money that's going to be divvied up, media deal that we're going to have or not have. But I thought that Jonathan would be a guy who could still lead the charge to persevere, to not back down. And yeah, like I said, for for someone like him to side on, yeah, this this is not not for me, feels surreal. And I don't really know where things go from here. I don't really know what will happen with how our perception, which is already outside of Beaver Nation, rock bottom. Yeah. How how do we recover? Like, where do we go? This is like a massively defining moment for Oregon State Athletics. And what comes to fruition over the next couple of days or week will determine how relevant all of our programs will be going forward, not just football. And I'm devastated for the players, the football players. I'm devastated for all of the athletes. I, I know none of them will be the first to say we need football, but they know it. Yeah. Their coaches know it. Everyone knows it. It's no secret that football funds a lot of these programs, a lot of our successful programs. These helps them break even, helps them hire coaches, draws NIL money. And so, I mean, it's just disappointing that somebody like Smith chose to turn away all of that and not just move on from it. That's his own right. He could he could move on from it. But the timing of it and um, the way it was delivered to players and fans alike and, the, and, and not just the timing of the season, but the timing of the landscape is p- poorly advised. Somebody, somebody needs to sit Jonathan and his agent down, maybe explain a little bit of nuance when it comes to PR. I'd be happy to do that on this podcast, Jonathan, if you're listening. I know you used to. I'm sure you're not anymore. But yeah, that is an interview I would I would love to have. It's a great idea, JP. Benny, you have been a Beaver fan your entire life. Many generations of Weehages attending Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon, the Paris of the Pacific Northwest. Is this the worst piece of Oregon State football news or Oregon State news that has been delivered in your all your many, many years? the beaver fam yeah I, I mean without a doubt and without without hesitation like so i was born in 86 so with the great year it is a great year but that that was the dave cragthorpe era you don't hear a lot about him because there wasn't a whole lot going on with the team at the time you know and then 
So I, I don't remember a whole lot from that era, but I remember the Jerry Pettibone era. And I remember how mediocrity just was accepted. I mean, it was 28 straight losing seasons, right? Until Dennis Erickson came in and, and Mike Riley really started the rebuild, but that was the standard. And, and so like a loss was a loss, like it was expected. It was not super fun, but we didn't know any better. Like, especially as a kid, right? Like I didn't know any better. And just to sort of put that thought into sort of one, one general idea is like, hitting rock bottom hurts so much more when you're two thirds of the way up the skyscraper and you fall. Right. Like, and that's yeah. what's happening here is like everything that, that you guys said where we had, I don't know if it was the best, but certainly the most anticipated team that I can remember in Oregon state history coming in. And the summer was just filled with so much anticipation. Right. Like, especially, yeah. yeah, especially when, when the DJU news happened, I think that's where everyone got really excited, right? And so then you have the conference imploding. Then you have this news about Jonathan Smith. The conference imploding, that sucked. And, and I think a big part of that was the feeling of abandonment, right? Like when it comes down to it, that that is what we're all feeling is that we are justified as a program and a, and a fan base to be recognized and to have a spot you know, at the, at the table with the, with the big players, we've held our own, you know, Corvallis is site of a place where a lot of really, really good teams go to die. And so we deserve a spot at that table. And I think the realignment brought up those feelings of abandonment. Cause it's like, I guess our perception of where we were at or where we are at right now is significantly different than what the rest of the country feels right. Like that, that's the yeah. way I took it. And of course, like a slap in the face, but Really just like, like, really, no one wants to pick us up. I feel like we're a pretty good fan base. Like we bring in viewers, maybe not like USC viewers, but we bring in viewers. So that's one thing that was out of the hands. We had President Murphy and Athletic Director Scott Barnes fighting for us. Everyone in Oregon State's community was fighting for us. We were banding together. And I don't think I've, I've ever seen any fan base, let alone just Oregon State's like come together in that way. And so that almost felt good, right? Like that's where the whole revenge tour came from. Like us against everyone, fuck everyone else. We're all we have. And it turns out that that's not necessarily the case. Like I, I get it. I've seen people that know Jonathan Smith personally come out and say like this slander against Jonathan Smith is uncalled for. Like, look, I'm sure Jonathan Smith is a great guy personally, but the action that he took like rip that wound of abandonment open it's like hold up i thought we were in this together and now the leader of the squad is dipping out and not just dipping out but dipping out for a school that is associated with the conference that is fucking ruining our program and yeah. so of uh, like i have a lot of respect for jonathan smith for what he did as a player and what he did as a coach but a lot of that was lost in his decision both his decision as a matter of fact but also the way that it was released and the timing of the release and so the like yeah there's feelings of abandonment there and I, i've seen i've gone on twitter a lot like a lot of what beaver fans are saying i think is generally that feeling they're 
they're upset, they're mad, but most of all, they're hurt. And it just keeps on feeling like we're getting slaps in the face saying like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough as athletic department. You're not good enough as a fan base. And it sucks. But to pile on top of it, like, dude, you had so many good players coming back next year. And I was honestly looking forward to playing in a some sort of like Mountain West hybrid conference because we were going to compete if it was the Pac-12. Like we were going to compete next year if the Pac-12 was staying intact. I thought we had a chance to go undefeated next year. Like I really, really, really thought and still think that that is a very realistic possibility if we keep the squad together next year. And if Jonathan Smith stays, I have no reason to believe that that doesn't happen. Jonathan yeah. Smith knew that this was the most pivotal time in the most pivotal season to do this. And I don't think he, he obviously didn't do it out of malicious intent, but he knew what he was doing. Like he yeah. knew what he was doing. He knew that this was going to destroy the program because I didn't even think of this before, but now who's going to want to coach us? Right. Like this is a dumpster fire There's... now. So what are we like? Are we going to go after Boise State's coordinator? Cause that like, I don't know. That's where I feel like we're at right now. That's where I think you both hit on a lot of good points there. But I think that overwhelming hurt that's just on top of hurt is what's really hard to grapple with. And JP, you said this is this was the guy, the guy we all you could tell us, all right, you have to play next year on the moon. As long as Jonathan Smith is coaching the team, I think every member of Beaver Nation felt comfortable with where we were going. So Smith leaving tears all of that trust away, all of that equity away. Everything that has been slowly building over six years, gone. And I do think it, it really matters where he went. Yeah, he's going to the Big Ten. <laughs> the conference that, like I've always said, there's a list of 100 villains to hate. If I think it would, maybe one day when this is thus is all settled, we could have a fun episode about power ranking who we hate most of all of this. Right now, I think it's still way too fresh. But fuck the Big Ten. And he's going to a university that has been in the college football playoff before. I will give Michigan State that. But at this point, Magic Johnson's not walking through that door. Plaxico Burris isn't walking through that door. Mateen Cleaves isn't walking through that door. Michigan State football has had scandal on top of scandal on top of scandal. They're bad. I watched them play in person this year. It's a Gary Anderson era level football team. They got blown out 42 to nothing at home today. Well, at they played at Ford Field for some weird reason. I don't know why, but that game was in kind Detroit. Of, kind of a home game. Kind maybe. of at home. I don't I yeah, it's it's not a good job. No. There are boosters at Michigan State who probably swing a bigger dick than the boosters at Oregon State when it comes to money. That's it. Canzano had several great points in his most recent column today. That board of trustees is a mess. It, the university has an interim president and an interim provost. Jonathan Smith doesn't know who he's working for. They hired a third-party company to run pregame entertainment on the scoreboard this season and oh. had to apologize for a trivia question about Hitler that just had Hitler's image displayed on the Jumbotron 
for like a long time. It's a shit show in East Lansing. He's maybe getting a million more, two million more. We haven't seen the total number, whatever. It's not a ton more. And fuck, I hope it is. There is a 0% chance that he's any closer to a college football playoff appearance over the next five years in East Lansing than he would have been in Corvallis. And that, to me, is what hurts the most. I would have been mad had he left for USC or UCLA. I would have been mad if Texas A&M gave him a blank check and he left. I'd be able to swallow the pill. I wouldn't like it, but I'd be able to. This sucks. This is your ex, or this is your partner leaving you for like a piece of shit. Some dude who you know just sucks ass. And there's like the apology. All I've I've gotten more and more mad as I've thought about it. And like the if Jonathan Smith saying he'll be forever grateful for the good times. Everything. Who would have thought? Yeah. The we will do common things in uncommon ways. Like, you know, it's always pretty naive to think any of these guys, you know, coaching these teams, like, is offer any out for anything other than their own benefit or their own power or their own ambition. But I allowed myself to believe it with this one. Well, no, that's the problem. He he made us believe that. And he and he, he tugged at all the reasons why we should have believed him. I mean, his own opening presser, he opened it up with, I'm home, with a nice long pause to really soak it in, to really demonstrate how important it was for him to come back to Oregon State, to put us back on the map, to build a winner, and to be at the helm when this happened and continue to be at the helm when that happened. The dream school, I texted you guys, the dream school comments, the dream town, the dream job, all of that with every coach always comes with an asterisk, always has a disclaimer. Yep. But we had every reason in the world to believe that it was different for Jonathan because of his history, because of what kind of guy he is. And and, and now it just feels fraudulent. Yep. And not, not, yep. to, not to put him out as a, as a, as a fraudulent person. But words matter, man. The things that you say six years ago, six plus years ago, it matters still. Yep. Your actions need to back it up. Especially because everyone bought in right away. And there wasn't any kind of crazy expectation then. I think the whole fan base, the whole community was really reasonable and understood the need to be patient. Yep. And they delivered in that sense. It was people showed out for that 2018 team. They showed up for that 2019 team. COVID yeah. was a really unfortunate interruption in this team's progress. But then especially when you think of 21, 22, 23, what the last three years have been like, oh my God, it's just, it just, it, it, we had every reason to believe that our buy-in mattered and it meant something. And we had well, really it was, turned it, a yeah, it was And then it was reciprocated. And just yeah, all of that feels stolen right now. Well, I want to point two things out because I think they're both really important and something the Beaver fam certainly knows. But if if we have anyone that's not part of that, that's listening, I, I think that this is really telling is number one. It's not that Jonathan Smith, who is an alum, who has been part of the program twice, is leaving for another job. That that happens. I get that that happens. I'd be frustrated if it happened. Riley did it, and people were frustrated, but not this mad. 
The reason is, is this is the most pivotal time for the athletic department, certainly the football program, but the athletic department. We have to have somebody that can navigate these waters and that's bought in and that has the players bought in and leaving at this specific time is the absolute worst thing that he could have done. Yeah. If you want to take another job, dude, fucking good luck. But like, give us two years, man. Like if especially if it was about the money, like. And he's well, going to say he's going to get better job offers than this, too. Yeah. Right. Like, but well, that's, and that, that's why I want to say this. And and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I think that it goes to show how Jonathan actually truly felt about being the head coach of Oregon State. Yeah. I think that he put his cards on the table or he showed his cards when he made this decision. Jonathan 100%. Smith as a coach wasn't a beaver, is not a beaver. I don't think he ever was a beaver. I think he was Jonathan Smith, the coach, and he was looking for how do I make myself a better coach? Not how do I make how do I make myself a better beaver by elevating all ships? Yeah, 100 percent. The the other thing that I think is worth noting, and, and I think this is touched on a little bit, but the program was going up and up and up and up. And people are going to say, yeah, well, you had 10 wins last year and you only had eight this year. Well, look, we were we were on pace to hit 10 until it came to our last two games. Right. Like I would say that the anticipation of this season, we were a top 10 team. We were never a top 10 team last year. And we, we can still hit t- nine. We can still hit nine with total wins with our bowl game right but my my point being is we lost to washington that was the first sort of like oh after we've yeah. been going up for the last six years and then we lose to oregon it's like again right and it's like almost this like dip like a stock you dip down but we were gonna go back up it's like the first dip is when he left that was the first other than conference realignment that was the first real adversity that he had faced in terms of the upward trajectory i know that it was like this is sort of sensationalizing it but it does feel like he was just on the ride until it stopped benefiting him and once you know he starts looking at like oh i might be regressing i better take a job that will give it to me right now like that's the way it felt too and it's like man i don't but know i don't just, i, don't, I yeah. don't know if that's I, don't, I mean i i think that that might partially be true but i don't i don't think that jonathan ever had a plan to see the the pack two situation through. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, we've had we've had and we tweeted about this, but we've had multiple people tell us in various ways, but with the same meaning, that Jonathan had a chance to to remain a Beaver. That the athletic department and Barnes did come to him on several occasions with highly competitive offers. One quoted as one that OSU couldn't even afford. Right. So the the thing that it comes down to is that there's also been claims that Jonathan had already decided that this wasn't going to be his fight. I heard that. So I heard that too. It it didn't matter. It didn't matter how he played. It didn't matter how high we were ranked. He wasn't going to see through the turmoil. And I don't really blame him for that. Like as an individual. But I think if you take the the big picture perspective, he set himself up to be looked at as the person who could do it. And and all the fans also were sure that he was the guy who could do it and would do it. 
And that's also, like you said, Benny, like who's going to coach us? Mm-hmm. Because who else is going to do that? If Jonathan Smith was on the market right now and was not a, or had not just been at Oregon State, and this was happening, we lost our head coach after two highly successful seasons, including one where we've been ranked in the top 25 all year and reached into the top 10. I would say the guy for the job is Jonathan Smith. Go get him. Yeah. So what do we got? What do we have? And I mean, that's that's where it really just destroys me. Mm-hmm. Because if he can't see it through, I mean, I don't know what he looked at it as. Again, do you look at it as a beaver or do you look at it as a coach? My my I mean, guts telling me he looked at it as a coach. Yeah, and and the the quotes or the the information that that you heard about how how Smith wasn't totally invested at the beginning of the season and his, his intentions were to not see this through. Man, that that would hurt more than if it's money. If it's money, I think it's still unbelievable and an unforgivable that Smith did this at this time. But if this was about prestige or like him thinking that the Michigan state job is a better job than Oregon state, or if it's about him just thinking that there is like danger going into the murky waters of what are we going to do with realignment? Dude, that would hurt 10 times more than if it's money, because that again is like, I'm one of you, but I'm not on board with this. It's like the, the, the captain of the Titanic sneaking into a lifeboat while everyone else is still shoveling water out of the boat. Like it, it just, it, yeah, it's unforgivable. There have been lots of Titanic references in my mind over the last six hours. And I think, I think it's both, I think it's both of those things, Benny. I think it is that which sucks, but I do also think it is money to an extent in terms of what do we have? From a coaching standpoint, I don't know. But we do have the Rag and Beers segment that we'll get to. And then we'll re reopen uh, this conversation. I think we'll want to talk a bit about possibilities of how OSU can move forward. Can I just finish one way. point on what well, on we, my last point? Yeah. I, because this is just about sort of my, my last point is if Smith, if Smith knew that he was going to leave at the beginning of the season, to me, that shows that he's not 100% invested in the team at all this year. And, you know, I'm sure we've sort of danced around that statement, but I felt like that need that needs to be said. Like, if he knew he was going to leave, how can you say he was 100% invested? Yeah, and not to mention, I mean, there were all the, all the questionable calls. I mean, yeah. it, it throws another you, you have to question doubt it. in your mind. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and how long... How long ago did he truly decide? Because I know it wasn't today. No. And some, I mean, how, how would you not, how would you not be calling play calls or have a game plan that would make you more marketable to other teams? Like, yes, that probably means the same thing, right? Like the goal is to do well. But so, like you said, Jay, like some of those play calls, maybe not the best play call for the game, but maybe it shows a little bit of like trickeration, which may be looked at as, you know, a highly sought after skill trait of, of a head coach. Like I would call some of those play calls into question, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, tonight, in honor of my feelings, I am drinking a surly, furious IPA. <laughs> you can see the can is red with flames on it in honor of me seeing red. Surly Brewing from right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This IPA is described as iconic, hoppy, and aggressive. And I, I think all those, those things describe me 
right now. Nice. That's it on Sterling. JP, I know Be- Benny said he has has something for this. So let's let's let Benny be the grand finale of the segment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's gonna be a dud, but yeah. <laughs> thank thank you for letting us know. <laughs> I'm I'm drinking Good. a Deschutes Jubal Ale, and oh, I there it is. That's nice. I I specifically chose it for for two reasons. One, given the way that the players post game spoke about this season, especially Anthony Gould, yeah, there was clearly more. They were more aware behind the scenes of things that play out of their control, and they still executed. And so, this being a celebratory winter ale, I wanted to drink it in honor of the players, in honor of the guys who really came into this program and devoted themselves like Aiden Childs who enrolls early, buys in, gives it his all, does what he can to get on the field, including after a transfer like DJU who comes to this program, believing in the coaches, believing in the fans, believing in the community. And, and they battled, man, they battled. And so I have to I have to celebrate them and their unwavering effort to be as best as they can be for not just themselves but for the program and for the community and university. And then of course celebrate our beloved men's soccer team. Yes. For being we'll talk absolutely about dominant over Absolutely. SM. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Seven to one on them. Yep. AC see you later. <laughs> <laughs> perfect well terry i'm glad you asked i have drank a barrel of whiskey and i've done a gram of molly and i still feel terrible <laughs> i no, i've i smoked pot with molly graham <laughs> i fun night taken thc mints all day I can't, it's not working. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it will all hit me middle, middle of this episode, but it's not working. I think my, when my anger is After stronger this than episode, me. you'll get on the couch, turn on Muppet Christmas Carol and cry. And that's when <laughs> everything will hit simultaneously. <laughs> all the feels. And then I'll get a text from you in the middle of the night that was like, Scrooge was just really misunderstood, man. <laughs> <laughs> The ghost of way, way past, Scrooge. I I said way future. (laughs) Ebenezer Scrooge for Oregon State head coach. Who says no? (laughs) Well, guys, cheers. Cheers to all everyone JP mentioned, basically. Cheers to every single player on the Oregon State football team and every player, Oregon State soccer team, the other kind of football, for blasting SMU the way they did. But really just all Oregon State student-athletes it's been it's still been a hell of a year a hell of a fall and we just can't thank you kids enough for everything you do for beaver nation so slancha chop them chop them so the rumors have started to build on all of the furniture jonathan smith is taking with him to east lansing (sighs) prick oh so we stand to lose a number of assistants. Any, you mentioned this when I was tailgating at the Minnesota Wisconsin game today, and people were trying to tell me it's not that big of a deal. I sort of made that same point: who, what coach is going to take a job at a school that currently doesn't have a conference or a schedule or, or many or players? Deal? Yeah, or players are all in limbo. 
So my we so we should we it's probably podcasting malpractice that we are now thirty eight minutes into our recording session and have not mentioned that Fetse Hinson is the interim head coach. Benny, you mentioned that this was telling that it wasn't Bray or Lindgren named as the OSU head coach, and I don't want to believe that, but I can't help but believe that it's telling. I've heard from a lot of people that Trent Bray likes his role as defensive coordinator. And from everything I've seen publicly and shared today, I think the likeliest scenario is Bray moves to East Lansing with Jonathan and just stays his defensive coordinator. But Bray would be my number one pick as head coach. Will Lindgren also go with Jonathan? We've defended Lindgren a lot on this podcast. I think the offensive coordinator is kind of always the least popular coach on a coaching staff with fans, just because it's just like you call a halfback draw on second and long one time and it doesn't work. And then you just become that guy. But I would love to hire Lindgren and try and recoup as many assistants as possible. I don't know if that's in the cards. Maybe Henson is as well, but I don't know who is available or interested in the, I think this is Scott Barnes most difficult task. He's got a lot of difficult tasks, but as we are sitting here now on the night, Saturday, November 25th, only hours after it became official that Jonathan Smith was leaving. Are there any names of potential replacements that have you I won't say excited because no one's excited about anything right now, but intrigued. Does any name pop for, for either of you? Yeah. Well, if we're talking external candidates. Yeah. We can talk, we can talk external and internal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're, I'll, I'll focus on external because I don't think anyone's sticking around internally. I'd be shocked to be blunt. I think essentially Michigan state wanted what Oregon state had and took the whole bag. But externally, I think there's one name that makes the most sense. There's a lot of names that make some sense. But what's worked for Oregon State recently has been someone with familiarity to the program. And since that would be internally Bray, given he was a player and now previously the defensive coordinator, I don't see that happening. I wish it would, and I hope it does. He is my top choice from all candidates. But I think that we're going to have to look externally. And Brent Brennan might be the guy. Yeah. And I like, I like Brent Brennan a lot. I like, I like Brennan a lot. I think that he has much had much more influence on the success that we saw across a couple generations of wide receivers than most people give him credit for. I think San Jose State is insanely difficult place to coach. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a commuter school. It is hard to get buy-in from students. It is hard to get buy-in from administrators when it comes to athletics. And you're competing against, really, Stanford when it comes to attention of a casual college athletics fan. But I think he's done a great job there. I think he did a tremendous job at Oregon State. And look, 
if the reality is that Jonathan Smith would leave Oregon State for greener pastures, he won't be the last to do it. Yeah, anyone will. Every, everyone will. Everyone. So we may need to just swallow that now and understand that that's reality. And so, fine, if this is Coach Brennan's stepping stone, I hate to use that phrase, but he might be the right person for who knows how long. And maybe, maybe he does stick it out for long term. Maybe this is his actual dream job. Maybe he doesn't say it in his opening presser, but maybe he feels it. I, I hope he doesn't. I No matter who we hire, my number one, the, the first box to tick is don't call it a dream job in the opening presser. Yes. I, I don't want anyone to say that. But Brennan's been fantastic. He's was thir- 31 and 25 over the last five seasons at San Jose State, and he inherited a program in shambles. And he won 2020 previous, yeah. Mountain West Coach of the Year. Yeah. And He's, the Mountain West Championship. And they, they got off to a tough stretch this year. I mean, they had a pretty difficult non-conference schedule, which <laughs> included the Beavers. But they're, it looks like they're going to finish about third or around there in the Mountain West. They've had a good offense. Obviously, he knows how to coach receivers and is connected to Oregon State. I think Brennan is a fantastic name. He's also and got a quarterback's coach. By who, the name Lyle Moivau, I believe yeah, his name yeah. is. I think who is one oh, of the most guy, beloved Beavers of he, all time. Yeah, he, he, he did throw for a few yards during his time in, in Cornell. Yeah, he should just be a and lay, lay a few, yeah, and lay down a few <laughs> yeah. dudes. Also, yeah, shout. I got to shout out Brendan for being a Bay Area kid, man. He's he was Bro. born and raised in Redwood City, just down essentially down the street from where I was born and raised in San Carlos. He went to St. Francis. I hate to say it, but go Lancers. <laughs> and, you know, that was within my high school's league as well. So I have a lot of people that I am close with, that I grew up with, who went to St. Francis. And, you know, I actually have family that, that, that knows Coach Brennan personally, and he's a good dude. And I think that that's also one of those Look, I don't, I actually never really got to know Jonathan on, a, on any sort of level beyond what he did as a player or a coach. And I think that's maybe his personality and that's totally fine. But a lot of people say and perceive him to be a good dude, but I don't have any sort of like direct insights to fact check that and not saying that they're wrong, but I do with, with Brennan. And I think that, that Oregon state hiring people who have previous ties to the university that are just genuinely good people and coaches who like truly just like love where they're at when they're at it and not with one foot out the door is what makes us successful. And I think that he checks a lot of those boxes. Yeah, I agree. I, to be totally honest, I don't, I don't know a lot outside of Oregon state's football program in terms of the world of college football. Brent Brandon seems like he would be almost the ideal candidate. You do have Jimbo Fisher's phone number, though, I believe. And he's getting paid so, a lot of money to not work right now. Maybe he's bored already. So <laughs> that that's sort of the, the other direction that I just want to dabble in. Just want to hear your guys' opinion. And I'll be honest. I, I chat GPT'd this question. Oh, who, my God. Who are college football coaches that need a second chance? I'll read them to you in a second. But the reason I think that that is an important angle to at least take a look at is yeah, because you this. are going to need, you're going to need to have an identity and you need a coach 
that needs to win just as much as the program needs to win. And so some of the names, I'm not going to read you all the names, but some of the names that it came up with are Charlie Strong. Okay. Brett Bielema. No, no, absolutely not. Kevin Sumlin. No. Butch Jones. I don't know as much about Butch Jones, but I'll say no. Charlie Brady, Brady Hoke. He's retiring. <laughs> Les, Les Miles. Les Miles' name actually came to my mind this afternoon. As I was, that was people already I wanted was, Les Miles I was, six years ago. I was trying to think about this, and I was like, "What's Les Miles doing? What's Ed Ogeron doing? Besides just being Cajun somewhere?" Ogeron's just down there in the big <laughs> arms. We've got we, mud. We, we can we can get a someone open a crayfish boil in Corvallis for Ed Ogeron. <laughs> Charlie Strong's interesting. The rest of those guys are a hard no from me. Here, here's okay. So here's sort of my take on it: is Michigan State went after Jonathan Smith because Michigan State is a stable program. They're not a great program. They're, they're, they are not stable. They are not stable. They have comparatively. Money. They have money. They're con com- the conference that they're associated with is stable. Comparatively, sorry for to where Oregon. Out, comparatively to where Oregon State's at, they are very stable. And and so Jonathan Smith wants a stable program. Jonathan Smith is a stable coach. I don't know if Jonathan Smith has that it factor to ever win a national championship for a blue blood program. He's I not, just don't he's think not winning he, a national championship at Michigan State. Not at Michigan State. Ever. Not even I don't close. Know. I feel like you have to be slimy and gross and a greaseball and he's, willing to he's break. He's not the going to a bowl game at Michigan State. Right. I, that sounds so, petty, but I don't think he's going to. So that is that's a good match. And that might be being <laughs> too hard on Jonathan Smith, but like that is a good match. Oregon State needs to look at what sort of match we need. And you need a coach that's desperate for a second chance. You need to And, and have... it's probably going to break some rules. Right. <laughs> because let me remind you, Oregon State had this happen to a small degree when Mike Riley, a Corvallis native, came in, took the team over from Jerry Pettibone, built it up, and then left for the Chargers. And anyway, who for comes Dennis. in? Who comes in? Dennis, Dennis Erickson. Who what? needed a second I'm... chance. And that dude was going down to the fucking hoods in Miami and dragging the players out who no one would give a second chance to because they weren't playing by the rules. And Erickson said, hey, I'm desperate. You're desperate. This program's desperate. Like, let's make this shit work. And that team had a fucking identity and it matched exactly what Oregon State was. I do believe Dennis Erickson is available and was recently in Corvallis. Yeah, I saw yeah, I think I he can him. be drinking beers on the sideline too. So that would that be sweet. Is something. And he did say leaving Oregon State was the biggest mistake of his coaching career. Yeah. When was the last time Erickson coached? Just out of curiosity. Well, you I think it was, was it? Plus I don't, 10 years? I don't. Was it Arizona State probably more than 10 years ago? Yeah. He was in, he was ahead. The very first Oregon State game I ever went to my freshman year, we beat Idaho 38 to nothing. And Dennis Erickson was the head coach. And Jonathan Smith was on his staff. Because here's the other thing is I don't think looking long-term is the road we want to take here. Like, that's why I say take someone like Charlie Strong or Les Miles or someone who you know is only going to be here for a year or two to sort of get well, I hope it's back more than a things. year. <laughs> okay, but... two, two, two years. You're sure. right. Two years. That's all you need. You just need someone to fucking land this plane and not have it crash and burn. It really is difficult because I think... The only time we ever really tried to swing for the fences was when we hired Anderson, and that didn't work great. 
but obviously you can't compare. No, well, we got Duke, but yeah, yeah, to now, and well, I think we also played a part in duping ourselves. Yeah, of course, <laughs> believing we've, that that guy could coach. Yeah, yeah, but part yeah because the next two years are critical, mm-hmm. and they're critical in a way that is pretty unprecedented. So yeah, I I think looking sort of at the island of misfit toys might make sense. See who's who's available, like who won a championship or a conference championship in just in the last decade who's like I was only like partly kidding about Jimbo Fisher like I think it's worth a phone call <laughs> Texas A&M is literally paying him 76 million dollars to not work and <laughs> I think Scott Barnes calling him today just being like hey you've got a lot of money and a lot of time I have neither of those things but <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see man if this had been a year ago, or this would have been a perfect time for the Deion Sanders hire. Can you imagine if he had been at Jackson State one more year and be mm. like, well, okay, our coach is leaving, taking assistants and players with him. We don't have a conference. Who is ava- is around that can generate <laughs> their own interests and doesn't give a fuck about the conventional college football establishment? <laughs> Hello, Dion. This is Scott Barnes. Yeah, that would have been a fantastic opportunity, dude. Erickson did the same thing. That I mean, that sure. should be our like. I mean, th- that is an avenue. Erickson. To take, for I sure. hope Erickson is consulted on this. I don't really. The first thing that one of my friends texted me today, Mike Riley and Canzano, apparently exchanged text with Riley during all of this, in which Riley expressed. In, in all of his, you know, very genuine, kind ways that anything Oregon State needs help with, he's willing to help. And I think he'd be great to have as a consultant in all of this, be involved in the program. I did love when he and Jonathan got to exchange a moment before the Stanford game on the sidelines. I hope he's around. But I also just don't – I don't think – like, like that's not the answer. No. You know, going, going back to just like – the stable will probably win eight total games. We'll start slow and finish strong. We'll lose a game we shouldn't, and we'll win a game we shouldn't. Isn't going to be enough to bridge this gap of time that we're faced with. So Jaden uh, Grant also was mentioned that Kenzano piece sit. Apparently he just texted Kenzano instantly Trent Bray. That doesn't <laughs> mean he's talked to Trent and confirmed any interest in the job, but I just you know, don't – I even if he wanted it, I don't – is that the move? I mean, if that's the move, the I move think would be if, to if keep he, players and to assistants. Me, to me, if he wants it, that is the move. Yeah. That is the move because I think if you – suppose hypothetically Trent Bray wants the job. If yeah. I'm Scott Barnes, he gets it. Like, we're, we're working on the deal immediately. Yeah. And then I'm putting him to work trying to keep as many players yeah. and as many assistants – from the staff and see what we can retain. Yeah. And then then identify areas to build on. If, I, okay. Hold on. To probe a little bit, though, let's just say that Bray, who has expressed zero desires to be a head coach, sure, follows his head coach okay. and does not. I mean, as as rumored that he, he is presumably headed to Michigan State as well. Mm-hmm. There's one name that has not been rumored. One that's going to make Beaver fans rip their teeth out. Is that Lincoln? But 
Yes. And that's I, I have to propose that as a discussion point. Yeah. Because one I'm, inter- I'm I am intrigued at potentially keeping Lindgren around. Yeah. Me too. As in a head coach capacity. I have to wonder how many of these what felt like boneheaded drives, boneheaded play calls. Yeah. At this point we can blame it all. Him. We can blame that all on Smith. It's a beautiful well, thing. Uh, being yeah, but in but, the fans but Smith chair. But but Smith blamed it on himself anyways. I know that's what a head coach is supposed to do. But sure. maybe that was the truth of the matter was I, I... I think the trick plays were Smith. I do. Yeah. I think that's a head coach thing. Lindgren, even though fans, Beaver fans, tend to think this is crazy, but Lindgren has been attached to lots of head coaching rumors over the last couple of years. Most recently, the San Diego State head job. So I think Lindgren is qualified. I think he's a dude who's going to get a head coaching job offer in FBS football at some point. And I don't think he's going to Michigan State. And I, at the, yeah, he's probably the more realistic target if it's between Lindgren or Bray. I maybe a little bit less enthusiastic about Lindgren than I would be about Bray, just because I think Bray is kind of a wonderkind. And well, he galvanizes players. Sweat. You could tell he like well, he definitely gets the energy and up. Just no disrespect. Is not to, an energy guy. And no disrespect to Tibisar, but just like it was the second they fired Tibbs and promoted Bray to that job, the defense was better. Yeah. Way like, better. Has had like one or two bad games since then, and it was just it like the dude. The dude's magnetic. He's I I, I think he's a future you know defensive coordinator hall of famer but i do think lindgren's a hell of a coach and i think lindgren a lot of people on that offensive staff would stay to work with lindgren and if that's that's for sure a conversation barnes needs to have i'm sure he already has i'm sure lindgren was one of the first people he talked to Mm -hmm. after hearing the news that smith is for sure going to east lansing so Real quick, going back to Bray, how I haven't heard any sources. I haven't really been looking, but sources saying that he's going to Michigan State. My question would be, how reliable do we think those sources are? Because, I mean, Bray went to Oregon State, too. Yeah. And money talks for sure. But I, I don't know if Bray, I mean, if Bray thinks it's, that he can keep some of that team together, I maybe he he has allegiance more than Jonathan Smith. I don't but know. But he, he can't. The sort of credible information is Bray not being interested in being a head coach at this time. And Barnes can't be like, no matter who I hire, you're the DC. Like, yeah, no, no external candidate is going to just like completely play ball with that. Like Bray would probably be a fine candidate for any coach who comes in or whatever. But yeah. no, no head coaching candidate is going to take a call from an athletic director who doesn't have a conference, but has already hired your defensive coordinator for yeah, you. Like, so I think with Bray, he's probably just going to go with Jonathan just because he knows the setup and knows that's going to be stable. Like we were talking yeah. about so yeah. I, if there is one college athletic program that has been the antonym of stability over the last five-ish years, it has been Michigan State University. And I will not shut up about that because it is by far what pisses me off the most about this. Any Spartan fans who are listening, I don't know why. I do know a handful of you, actually, and I've been texting you angry messages that you have been a little gracious with. So I appreciate that. You're cool. No one else is. 
Here's another candidate I think we should talk about. A Harbaugh from Michigan, <laughs> in Michigan. Not Jim Harbaugh, although he might be available soon as well. Jay Harbaugh, Oregon State grad. Friend of the pod, Ashton Batuso, texted me about this. He's 34, so he is younger than all of us. <laughs> Hasn't been a head coach before, but has been coaching since he was in college and was <laughs> grad assistant on, under Riley at Oregon State in the mid-2000s and has just been working working his way up the ladder. Has Obviously has the bloodlines. Jim was great for your guys as Niners for, for a period of time. And that could be kind of the outside-the-box program hire that could work because he's been just burning all kinds of rubber on the recruiting trail for every program he's been associated with. And I think we can, we'll all agree that the person we bring in is going to have to recruit like hell. Yeah. So maybe Jay Harbaugh. Maybe Jim yeah. Harbaugh, though, too. <laughs> I like I like both the Harbaugh's as options. I like the idea of Jay again, more familiarity with the program, with the community, yeah. with the school. Definitely incredible recruiter, great pedigree, family pedigree. Clearly, they just they just eat and breathe football in the Harbaugh family, literally and figuratively. Their Thanksgiving is probably so ridiculous; it's just all football. Like they probably, don't even, they, they probably don't even eat their food. They just sit there with plates full of Thanksgiving yeah. dishes and they just, just yell at it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yell play calls at it. <laughs> yeah. And maybe he knows a thing or two about, you know, skirting the rules. Who knows? Yeah. Bring Connor Stallions with you. <laughs> he, he's available. Another one. And this is, this is maybe like to, I don't know, wrap up our, head coaching search but the there's one guy that might want to return to the pack who may help retain a player like Aiden Childs who according to Nick Dashell has not made a decision on his future he is what did he say processing the news and doesn't know what he will do in regard to his future and that was 12 hours ago so you know a lot can change in a short amount of time but Let's say that that holds steady and he's still going to wait to see who comes in before deciding if he needs to find a different opportunity. There's another kid, like I said, who was previously coaching in the, in the pack. Well, I guess it was 12, 10, I guess 10 and 12 is currently the head coach for an opponent that we played recently and is also from Downey, California, the same hometown as Aiden Childs, and that is Mr. Jeffrey Tedford. Yeah. Tedford's a good name. And that's one without ties, of course, to the school. Right. But he was an OC at Oregon, right? Yep. He was the he was the OC at Oregon before headed to Cal. So he knows the Northwest. Before he went back to college football, he was a consultant for UW. So there is kind of modern ties, given that he left Oregon in 2001. A lot has changed in the landscape of college football up in these parts since then. I think that it could be an intriguing hire as well. And, yeah, twice Pac-10 coach of the year. I mean, he had a pretty successful stint at Cal for the most yeah. part and coached some really – I mean, 
produce Deshaun a lot of Jackson, the, Marshawn Lynch. He had yeah, guys, dude. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Well, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying that not, he had he had guys. He had guys who went on to the NFL, and I think that's also yeah. one of those marks of Oregon State that cannot be lost in this transition. It cannot be lost that we do Build produce careers. NFL level talent and NFL ready talent. And that's why I, I thought that it was an interesting swing to go to Anderson because it felt like, well, turning over the new leaf, let's see what happens. This is going to be a different identity of a program. Obviously, it didn't work for a variety of reasons, not because of the identity of the program, more so the coach. <laughs> but we went back to Smith, and Smith was a very similar identity to what Riley, Erickson Riley, had built of making sure that players had an opportunity to potentially go to the NFL. And so I think that he's a guy who could do the same and he's a proven name. And I think, I don't think he would see at this point in his career, Oregon state so much as a, as a stepping stone, but maybe the swan song of his career and ride it out into the sunset. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how it's going to have to be built. Right. Is like the, if you can take over this program and navigate these murky waters, then like number one, you're going to be written into the lore of Oregon state university. But number two, like that's going to be looked at at the national scale of like amazing and a a really difficult task. So I I don't know, like, I think you're, you're going to have that angle with coaches that again, are looking for that second chance, but also like, I think you can get aggressive with some of the top, you know, offensive and defensive coordinators out there. I, I I don't know. I think the most important thing when you're looking at this is if you can retain the current coaches, specifically like the O-line coach, I never know how to pronounce his last name, but Mikhail check. No, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> he's going to sure? say it though. I mean, yeah, it's already reported. He's gone. All right, so the second <laughs> thing is you you have to think about how are we going to keep some of these players. I think you ha- like that's the most important I'm, thing. I, I'm I'm sure that Barnes has already talked to him, but like you have to have a conversation with Aiden. Figure out where his head's at. Figure out like what he wants. I'm not saying hire the coach that he wants, but like, dude, I, I said it just a couple of weeks ago. Like, Aiden has the chance to be Oregon State's best player, best product ever. And you have to figure out a way to keep him. Dame seems like he's in. Dame seems that like is something he's in. we should have. Rep- Mentioned that at the top, Dame has told reporters that he will be back for his junior season in Corvallis yeah. in 2024. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that Dame's drive to be the guy in the record books, to be the guy that everyone thinks of when they re- try to recall the top players, running backs, etc., to play at Oregon State, he wants to be the first on everyone's mind and uh, and he's motivated by that and i and i and yeah dashel reported that his plan is to come back we're in, in good confidence can say that we believe the same obviously that's not exactly i'm coming back no matter what but there was a quote with dashel that i think did tell us that and it's a direct quote from damien and it said that, that you know smith's decision doesn't affect me yeah yeah. And so I just think that it's insanely admir- admirable that a player of his caliber facing this kind of adversity, losing a head coach, the future uncertainty of what networks are going to carry his games, who will come in and coach him, what kind of usage in, is he going to see, that he's still dedicated and loyal 
I mean, it is not what the norm is in college athletics these days, really in all athletics these days. Yeah. Yeah. And in, I don't, I don't know if we can ever, yeah, I don't know if we can ever show enough appreciation for somebody to come out and say that. And look, maybe it doesn't work out. I won't blame him if it, if it, if it comes to fruition where he's like, this isn't going to happen. I wanted it to, but it's not. Yeah. But I don't think that that's all just, you know, PR speak. I think that is truly from his heart that this is where he wants to be, that he loves Corvallis. He loves Beaver Nation. He loves Oregon State, and he he wants to do one thing, and that is be the best back to ever grace Oregon State, and that's I think that's his goal. One one hundred percent, man. And like you you hear about the Mount Rushmores of certain programs or whatever, right? Like I don't think Dame's on that. I think like he's separate from that. He he is above everyone. Gary Payton, Steven Jackson, Chad Ochocinco. I'm not kidding. Like loyalty is easy when things are going well. Loyalty is really like it truly is measured by when shit gets tough. And not saying that any of the aforementioned players had it easy, but like, dude, Dame is down for with a team that he has all the reason to turn his back on. And yeah. it wouldn't be turning his back. He'd be looking out for himself. He is putting the team before himself. He has been with the team for less than a thousand days. Like think about that. That that's how that is how loyal of a person that Damian Martinez is. We've been involved with the program for over 15 years, right? Like so we like, of course, we're going to be loyal, but someone who's been with the program for less than a thousand days, it, it, he could go anywhere and get paid a fuck ton more in NIL than what he's getting paid now. He could be on way more TVs next year than what he'll probably be on next year. But he's fucking down with this team. He's down with the community. He's down with the program. And if you think like loyalty is the most sought after trait, I would say in any program, sports or otherwise, like loyalty is such a sought after commodity. And like JP said, it's rare these days. And so you're going to have that love for a player, no matter where you're at, but on in a fan base that feels like we've been abandoned by literally everyone and everything do that loyalty is going to put him in a stratosphere that is so fucking far away from any other person we've had associated with the university yeah and it's also just a little bit of good news and and joy for beaver fans to go to sleep with tonight too just that like all right dame's still here like you don't have to worry about that he's he said he's staying yeah he said he was staying before the civil war and now that all this crazy shit is happening so you know that that cupboard's not empty Mm mm-hmm Sorry, I'm. It's been a hard day for for all of us. I want I, I want to propose this real quick though before we before maybe we wrap up on the football saga. I have to make it clear that the circumstances that Jonathan Smith faced, looking into his future next season and beyond at Oregon State, were by no means his fault and they by no means were fair to him either that he had to make a call like he did 
does not mean that I agree with the way he made the call, when he made the call, the rationale around him moving on when he did. But there, there, uh, there were so many reasons, so many factors that this even came to a head. And I'm curious to hear from you guys. If you're not blaming Smith for moving on, who are you blaming? I think it, dude, that is such a gray area because Smith wasn't put into this position for anything that he did, right? Like the situation, the cards that he were he was dealt were really, really bad. And he played them just as bad. I don't think that the blame falls on him for where the program is at right now. I shouldn't say that. I, I don't like the majority of the blame goes other places, like the vast majority of that. But the the way that Jonathan Smith went about leaving the program, I, I would say, number one, it doesn't feel like he is leaving for another program. It feels like he's like running away from ours. And just like, yeah, with, with the situation at hand, I don't think that he's obligated to do anything. But I think that you know, he he opened himself up to a lot of criticism. And I think a lot of people lost a lot of respect for him because he handled the way the situation the way he did. But uh, short answer is I blame Smith, but not very much. Right. It's yeah, who I was saying, who do you blame, though? Larry Scott. Smith. Yeah. Larry Scott saying, is who I blame the most. Who's public former, enemy number two? Former Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren, who set all of this shit in motion and then bailed to get a luxurious payday from the Chicago Bears. George Klyovkov, who was all all Pac-12 all 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 day every day until everyone else bailed on him, and then he turned his back on us. Nameless, brainless suits at Fox and ESPN, and then eventually on that list you'll get down to Smith. I'd, but even before that, the presidents, provosts, chancellors, dignitaries, and douchebags at ten partner institutions who have chosen mutiny and money over more than a century of tradition and heritage. So. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think you can separate just this move from conference realignment because it is 100% the reason why he he left. And that uncertainty, just him not wanting to be a part of it. So it's the same, it's the same thing as this conversation that we've been having for a while. I would say public enemy number one continues to be and probably will always be Larry Scott. And that's another frustrating reality because Larry Scott's gone. He's been gone. He can't, we can't go back and do anything. We can't fire him again. He fucked up. And maybe we fucked up to an extent by believing in him or believing in the conference, but there's no way to really prove that or say what Barnes or any of the previous athletic directors, athletic directors should have done more. I, I would say it's a good question, JP. It's a great conversation topic because it is healthy and helpful to find ways to like channel your frustration and even you know aim it at deserving guilty parties but yeah i would say it's the conference commissioners who had a hand in this the tv networks and all of our soon-to-be former partner institutions who fucked us and then you probably get to Smith as well. And I think where it's, does Barnes fall on your list, though? Out of curiosity, I don't. But from before every, or after Smith? I, I mean, really, if you think after, if you're, I mean, he didn't yeah. he didn't get it done. But I don't know that he had a card to play. We 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 have it like you mentioned. We have sources saying that a extension was pro- offered to Smith that OSU couldn't even afford. I think he did everything he could do to try and keep Smith. 
And even before all that, salary pool for assistance increased every year. I yeah. think he was working within reason and doing his job to try and keep Smith. And then he's the one who ended up in charge of a ship without a harbor. And Smith was like, I'm not going to wait around for you to find a harbor. I'm gone. Well, and, and he also got dealt the two worst blows that Oregon State has had in their athletic department within three months of each, or four months of each other. Yeah, I th- I thought of this. This is probably not the best metaphor, but Barnes is at a poker table playing no limit Texas Hold'em, and he gets dealt a seven do off seven deuce offsuit, and someone is holding a gun to his head saying, you can't fold this hand. You have to play this hand. So, and that is just the fan, <laughs> the hand that he has been forced to play. And he's just waiting and waiting to try and get a fucking full house or three of a kind or something on the flop. Cause it's been entirely out of his hands. I, people who are mad at Barnes, I'm not going to tell you where to channel your anger or that you're wrong necessarily. Cause I haven't been in behind the, the doors in those meetings, but Tell me what Barnes could have done more. I'll listen. I'm not sure that there's anything substantial that he could have done more. Like he can't just make, you know, turn, turn, make, make wine out of water and come up with money that isn't there. Well, and that's the thing is if the reports are that Oregon state made an offer that Oregon state couldn't afford, that would signal to me that that was the absolute maximum that Scott Barnes was told that he could go. And if Jonathan Smith said no to that, like Jonathan Smith had been in the program for six years. He, there wasn't anything Scott Barnes was going to tell him that was going to convince him to stay if, if the money wasn't there. So I, yeah, I agree with Terry. Like, I don't know what else people wanted Scott Barnes to do, but yeah. I mean, Barnes needs to deliver some form of confidence over the next year. Yeah. He needs to do something. And I think we'll see more stuff there, but like from the type of power he holds, I don't know realistically what type of expectations we should have had for him other than what's happened. Like this has just been handed down to us and I don't see how the AD could have done anything to get out of it. If, and, uh, for the- oh, I want to say this too, because it is worth reiterating that before Barnes was at the helm, I did reach out to athletic directors, associate athletic directors on social media, asking about completing research, asking even about phase B, because it was always, well, phase C, I guess. There was always considered that phase one was the old new side. Phase two was the south end zone, which is supposed to be a double-decker end zone. And then phase three was now what is the new west side. And that was supposed to be a mirrored image of the original new And side. done by like 2010 or something. Yeah. And it was 100% denied across the board, across multiple associate athletic directors telling me there was never a plan to do the west side. There was never a plan to do more to the end zones. And that it doesn't seem likely that there will ever be a time that we will be able to get that done. And I know that the landscape financially shifts and changes and you might develop new donors. I mean, I worked in fundraising at Oregon State. I know how it goes. But Barnes pulled that off. And why did he pull that off? For Jonathan Smith. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I would also point, I mean, that is absolutely true. I, I would also say for the people that are frustrated with Barnes, like this isn't, this isn't the end of the game, right? Like the, the program's not just going poof. What Barnes is tasked to do right now is to navigate these next two years. Make sure that we end up in a conference or have a plan going forward that is sustainable to the program and to make the right call with the new coach. Those are those are the things that he should be judged on, not decisions. He wasn't going to fix conference realignment. This shit was done and over with the second that Texas and Oklahoma decided to go to the SEC. That, that I mean, it was probably over before that. And he wasn't going to change Jonathan Smith's mind. If the money wasn't there, I don't like, again, what are you, what is Scott Barnes supposed to do? So now he is dealt with these two decisions. How do you navigate these waters of conference realignment and who are you going to hire as the next head coach? Yep. All right. I have one last question for you guys before yeah. I move on. What, what are realistic expectations of the ceiling of Oregon's like, where do you want to see us in two years? Ideal scenario. Like conference affiliation or just where like the state of the program, what does the program look I mean, like in two years from now? We were a team that had one of these last two games gone differently. Let's say Washington, because it was within our grasp Would a team that would be flirting with an at-large bid to the college football playoff yep. in a 12 team playoff field. It doesn't feel like we're going to realistically be there, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be okay with being completely out of the top 25 at this point, two years from now, because the bones are there. The stadium's there. The fans are there. The money is there. And it's just, I forget who wrote it this way, but it's just, we got jilted by the college football cool kids. (laughs) So, I don't think I'm going to just be cool with seven and five bowl game. I'm not. So my expectation is to continue being a top 25 team that goes five and one, six and one at research stadium every year. And maybe, maybe we come find some magic in the moonlight to be as competitive overall as we've been these last two years and can continue to be in that around 15 to 10 range of the college football committee playoff rankings that I think would be a little too lofty, but top 25 for sure is my expectation. Okay. I mean, I think we'll know more about where to set expectations over the next 10 days. Yeah. And depending on how that goes, depending upon, and this is the tricky part. Like, can we hire somebody in the next 10 days? I know it's almost like we, we have to, but the flip side of it is if we do hire somebody and the players don't like it that we currently have that, that com- comprise this top 25 team we have mm-hmm. in the bright future that we have established, then they're definitely leaving in 10 to you know whatever days. Yeah. If we don't hire anybody, then what happens? Right. I mean, they're like and if we hire someone they love, yeah, then they stick it, stick it out. And I think we, we continue to build, you know, that I think the program is a program in disarray that needs rebuilding like we were after Anderson mm-hmm. needs a coach mm-hmm. needs a name, but we aren't at that point anymore. Yeah. And so I, I I'm in agreement, especially with what you're saying, Terry, like that it would be disappointing to even go back to kind of this mid-level status, you know, in low, low tier, mid tier bowl games, mm-hmm. because this, this kind of success 
should be self-propelling. Like you should win, establish yourself as a winning program, establish yourself with a bright future, and coaches come and go. Staff changes happen. Coordinators get poached. Head coaches get poached. But you're a name. So if we are a name, then I expect us to continue to build. But it all still comes down to the next 10 days to decide, are we a name or are we rebuilding? Yeah. Yeah. So in I two think- years, I don't know. I, I mean, it can go. It can go 100% in either direction. Agreed. Agreed. Like, I guess where I'm coming from is I want to see the team develop an identity around what's going on right now. Like, I put on Twitter earlier today, you know, like, I feel like all of this is making me a bigger Oregon State fan in a certain degree, just because, like, we're all going through this shit together, you know, and that that like it sucks but that there is that comforting aspect of like we're in this together and that bonds communities together more than any national championship or winning or any of that could like going through this shit together will bond us and it is going to be that revenge tour mentality the us again the beeves against the world mentality that is going to permeate this program if it is allowed to do so and that's what i want to see i want us to be kind of like the bad example because we'll probably be playing them a lot but like boise state on steroids maybe not playing on the biggest stage every week or on a blue stage every week or on a blue stage every week but we like we, we are smash mouth. We're going yeah. to upset a lot of those big programs that come in to play us. We're going to step toe to toe with them. And we're there to fucking wreck havoc on the party. Fuck the, estab- the establishment that put us in this place. Like that's the mentality that I want us to have of just like a chip on our shoulder. Like a kid who was abandoned by their parents who grew up in the orphanage and then came to step toe to toe with the kids that were living on the nice side of town. Like that's the mentality I want us to build these next two years. I think we already have some of that. It's too bad though, because I can 100% see players buying into that. But it it sucks that coaches don't have to. Yeah. Well, and players don't either. So the players that do stick it out and and feel that pain with us like dude they're just on another they they will be thought of as on a completely a different level than any other player that's walked through Oregon State yeah I mean players don't have to but yeah. the the choices afforded to them are not on the same level as coaches 100 percent 100 percent it's so easy for a coach just to say I'm going there it's a better job I agree yeah yeah well as you mentioned JP the next 10 days will be critical the Days and weeks and months beyond that will also be critical. (laughs) I don't know that there will be a time when it's not. If you are available to do so, please play five seconds of Situation Critical by Andre Nicotina. (laughs) We have not requested (laughs) anything of the sort. I was going to ask you to just play a bunch of breakup songs on this, but I didn't want to give you more work to do. And... (laughs) Thanks. I'll just keep doing that on Twitter. I think I'm just going to keep adding breakup songs to this thread that I started <laughs> with that began with So Yesterday by Hillary Duff, an all-time banger. Before we get out of here, we do need to give our flowers to Oregon State men's soccer team. Hell yes. Positivity. Let's go. On the road, in the Sweet 16, playing in Dallas at SMU, ACC year later, Mustangs. The number six team in the country, Oregon State, blasted, blasted the Pony Express 7-1. to 
Multiple goal, goals in this game scored by Dante Williams, our guy, Logan Farrington. Goal and assist by Arnaud Farnos. Goal and assist by Ellis Spikner. Great goal by uh, Vicho Castro. The Luis Castillo, great game in net. Gave up one and then knew his team would put up a touchdown to, to get us the win. This team's making a run and they're playing great soccer right now. Probably the, one of the better stretches that I think we've seen when you put hang a touchdown, the number six team in the country in on their field. Right after doing that, University of Portland, who has one of the best home field advantages in all of college soccer, that's impressive. And they are going to the College Cup in Louisville. And in the quarterfinals, they will play the winner of North Carolina and Hofstra, which is taking place tomorrow on Sunday, November 26th. That quarterfinal match will take place on either December 1st, Friday, or Saturday, December 2nd. So keep it tuned to Oregon State Soccer, and you can find all of the information for that, osubeavers.com. They are hot right now, boys. Seven goals in a fucking Sweet 16 game? Yeah, I was tuned in. Let's go. I was tuned in, man. They they were they were like utterly dominant. Utterly dominant. Their goalie was so mad. (laughs) I would be too. Yeah. Their goalie looked like me the second I heard the Jonathan Smith news. Yeah. (laughs) I like just beyond he was beyond furious for the majority of the game. I I I I love what what they're doing for our school. And I I think that the kind of joy and passion that those guys play with should hopefully resonate within beaver nation and so if you're if you're feeling down remember that we've got a dozen other programs to support (laughs) and soccer is deserving more than deserving of more support from beaver nation so yeah yeah, there's some next level studs on this team we've put some We've had a, a knack for putting goal scorers in MLS before, too. I think Logan Farrington's like a 10-goal-a-season scorer in MLS or even better than that. So we'll definitely be excited to see where he goes the next stages of his career. But he's got at least another game playing playing for OSU and hopefully more than that. That dude's just got the nose for goal and is he's he's sick to watch. He could be playing at Paul Lorenz one day, and a couple months later, he could be alongside Messi. He could that be. Is, he could be. Yeah, yeah. cool. Get that would be pretty cool. Get an inner Miami Farrington jersey if, if I get the opportunity. <laughs> From the Flamingo in Vegas, they'll sell Messi jerseys <laughs> and Farrington jerseys. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's a reasonable expect- expectation to put on a kid. He's hey, basically Logan. better than Messi. Logan, we're all, we're, I don't know if you've heard, we're all having a tough day over here, but if you could be better than Messi, that'd help all of us out. Thanks, man. <laughs> Anything else you guys want to make sure we get to before we get out of here on this sad but still hopeful Saturday evening? Yeah, just, I mean, fucking, like, hang in there. Like I said, we are all in this together. We are. Misery does love company, so commiserate together. But, like, do 
it's it's going to get worse with the players leaving but <laughs> but we just remember it's going like, to get worse it, before it gets better a, that is good advice there's a point yeah. there's a point in january february where the dust will settle and we can start building this thing back up and if, that will be a fucking great experience if oregon state ends up in the sun bowl can beaver nation find you benjamin lawrence sebastian we hedge the official mayor of el paso in el paso for the sun bowl that is Dude, your I, town I, I've been I've been so cranky <laughs> since the since fucking Friday night that I was talking with my wife Yuri and and she was like, "Where's Oregon State gonna play a bowl game this year?" I was like, "Like maybe LA or Vegas or El Paso." And she's like, "How many people do you think are gonna go?" And I was like, "Probably not very many. Not, not as many and, as last year for sure." It and has she's nothing like, to do with location. She's like, "Well, we should definitely go then." So TBD. If it's in El Paso, I'm gonna push hard for it. If it's in right. Vegas or LA, maybe not as much, but I yeah. don't think I'm going to go to the Vegas two years in a row. No, so. no, no, no. I mean, San Diego is still nice on December 28th. We're not going to the holiday bowl though. It's still a possibility. You think it's technically a possibility. Yeah. Okay. But it's is, all, is it we, looking like the sun bowl? The sun bowl is, I would say is very likely. Oh dude. El Paso's legit. I, know. I, I might go. Yeah, even if we're going to say it all season. <laughs> Fucking Ole. Yeah. <laughs> if it's UCLA Duke, are you still going to go? <laughs> if if the Sun Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> what if you, Maybe. That would be great. Just like adopt a bowl game and go every year, no matter who plays. Dude, that would be that's fun. A, that's a fun way to interact Dang. with shit. And yeah. I do have to say, like the community of El Paso, that's what makes it kind of cool is there are a lot yeah. of people in El Paso that just go to that game. Yeah. It's really cool. I, I've never made it, but... You are not the only person I know who raves about it, and also the the great great city and the good people of El Paso. So yeah, maybe I'll go. It's all yeah, the flights are always super it. expensive. I know, but we'll we'll check it out. We'll have your highly anticipated Oregon State bowl game coverage and who might be playing and uh, coaching in that game uh, besides Kifense Hinson, who is the only one offic- officially dedicated to that game. I know Dame said he's in DJ. So DJ. Yeah. He did say he's going to play in the bowl game. I oh, shit. Okay. Him. Not since pre pre Smith news. He said that. Yeah. So I don't know if that changes him playing one more game. I do think for his NFL draft stock, it would be smart for him to do so. Yeah. But that's another episode. Guys, I just want to thank the both of you for just the space. I, I don't know that I'm in a better mood, but I think my spirit's in a better place, if that makes sense, <laughs> than it was a few hours ago. It's been a hard day, despite having fun and tailgating and seeing people I love, but just thinking about the future of this team and this program and this place that we still love. So... Getting to do this with you guys every week is always a joy and a great privilege for me. So thank you both for being here. Thank the, you, man. For the 118th time. Thank you. I was that looking kind of forward, crazy? I was looking this forward to this episode. We've done this 118 times now across, yeah. you know, now we, our first episode was May 2021. And I just am tickled silly that there's one or more people who listen to every episode of these things. And... That yeah, we have a place to come and vent and hope and dream and cry together. I know I'm the only one who does the crying bit, but that's still okay. You don't see and me I off off camera. That's <laughs> that's true. 
Hey, you, and we're you, still going to be here. We're still, still going to be here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not going anywhere. Unfortunately, right. we are not going anywhere. <laughs> so you're stuck with us. And by but us, stick I'm, with of us. course, referring to the Belligerent Beeves podcast, which this has been the 118th episode. Thank you, listener, for tuning in, for being in this therapeutic, this downtrodden, but still hopeful and resilient special place that we've tried to create for for all beaver fans and just you know supporters of the cause we sincerely appreciate it if you have not done so already please subscribe and rate and review wherever you get your podcast whether that be spotify apple or one of the many other podcast holding platforms wherever you get your podcasting content there is a reviewing system and or a subscription system including belligerent beeves in your follows or your subscriptions and giving us a five-star review really helps us grow the show a lot and we sincerely appreciate it and we will be just so goddamn flattered if you shared the show with a friend you can also follow us many places that aren't just the podcast youtube specifically we're dropping a lot of content there we our channel is the belligerent beeves youtube we are the belligerent beeves on facebook at belligerent beeves on instagram at belige beeves on x formerly known as twitter because they hate extra syllables for whatever reason check out our most recent popular tweet everyone seems to love it there are a lot of rational and tempered responses <laughs> to the last tweet from our social media intern andre nicotina listen to andre nicotina's music on apple music and spotify <laughs> as well it's at belige beeves at belligerent beeves we're all over the internet so just whatever social media du jour is your choice you can find us there also belligerentbeeves.com belligerentbeeves.com slash merch always a lot of fun stuff cooking up over there my name is terry horstman at terry horstman on twitter at terrence horstman on instagram.com i am really excited for the new season of bridgerton coming on christmas day you guys if you fuck with bridgerton please send me a dm joined as i always am that just shows how depressing things are getting over here it's it's situation critical oh, my beloved co-host benjamin lawrence sebastian we age he's benny with the good guaf aka benny bedlam aka because he's fucking crazy folks aka benny bull game especially when it's in el paso folks aka <laughs> benny blastoff aka benny burner and you can follow him at benny l 1986 on all the social media channels did i lose my voice in like the last two minutes yeah it's a lot the end dedication of is really struggling that I, <laughs> I am podcasting so hard right now <laughs> you don't know the meaning of dedication jonathan smith i don't want to hear a goddamn thing about how hard <laughs> this is and of course the man keeping us on the air on the ones and twos in Portland by way of San Carlos, California, JP Bertram at the Trio J on Twitter. That's at the underscore Trio underscore J because he's too Trio to be real. And at JP Bertram Instagram. Thank you for tuning in to this very, very special and very, very sad 118th episode of the Belligerent Beefs podcast. And just remember that no matter how much shittier this shitty bunch of shit that is conference realignment gets, no matter how many coaches 
abandoned their dream job. Don't want this to be anybody's worst day at their job, Benny. <laughs> I'm not trying to get a laugh. No matter what, no matter what they do, no matter what they take from us, no matter what they say, you still can't spell chop them without hope. So chop them. Chop them. Chop them. Jonathan Smith does spell chop them without hope. <laughs> we love you, Beaver fam.